Welcome to Pastor's Class for the fall of 2020. Over this course of the fall and this study, we're going to be talking about respectable sins. Things like ungodliness, unthankfulness, uh, anger, worry, different things we as Christians uh, struggle with. Now, these aren't the gross sins that you might look out into the world, these obvious things that we point out are going on. These are things that we as believers are all struggling with in some way. And so we want to look at each one of these as we walk through the fall. Now, for these first couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at the foundational principles of the gospel that underline sin and gospel change in our life. And so we'd love for you to pick up the book to help walk through these weeks with us. We're, we're going to reference it and draw things from the book. However, uh, from the book, there's going to be tons of material that will supplement and be a part of your growth during this time. And, and this book, our goal is not for you to be discouraged by your sin. Our goal is uh, for several things for you to grow in Christ. You're to be sanctified through this period of time. Meaning that this book is going to help you grow as a Christian as you forsake sin and you turn towards Christ. I think another benefit of this study is it's going to be very practical. These are things you deal with on an everyday basis. Uh, from worry to anger to just being more thankful for things. So there's so much of this study will you'll find to be very practical in your Christian walk. There's also a level of this study that's going to be personal. You're, you're going to find that as we look through this, we're not talking about the, the sin that your uh, other family members committing or you see somebody at work committing. These are going to be things that you personally are dealing with and struggling through. You're also going to find uh, what we talk about here is very applicative to uh, life. And here, here's what I mean. If you teach a Bible study or daily as you read your Bible personally, and as you apply it to your life, sometimes we get in ruts where we only see just a few ways in which the Bible's speaking to us, or when we're teaching a Bible study, we only apply it in a certain particular way. But this study helps give you a variety of ways that the Bible is challenging us in our sin. And so you'll see all of these different things uh, these different sins we'll talk about and how they might apply to you in your personal study as well as in your study of uh, you know teaching wherever you teach a Bible study. The final thing I want this study to be for you is encouraging. It, it, as you read through this, I know that it may feel at times that you realize you have this sin in your life that you didn't know you had. But, but what should be encouraging is that sin has negative effects. Like it costs us. And as sin costs us, that, that means that on every single day that you're continuing to live in this sin, it's hurting you, it's hurting others. And so to identify that sin and to be able to forsake that sin means that a lot of the struggles that it's causing for you and for others are going to be gone. We'll, we'll become more like Christ. And so as much as it may be painful or sometimes discouraging on the front end when sin is exposed, what should be encouraging to you is out of forsaking sin should come joy and peace and, and there should be so many spiritual benefits in your life from leaving the sin behind. So even though there may be some uh, painful parts on the front end of this study, we hope it's going to be encouraging to you in your walk with the Lord as we go through uh, respectable sins. Now, 
for me in dealing with sin over the years, I've, I've seen people handle it different ways. And, and just like when I was in college, there was a street preacher that everybody in our college, when you would be walking from class to class, he would be out preaching to the crowds. And he was provocative and everybody would stop and listen to him and he, he would make claims. He would claim first that he no longer sinned. He had reached perfection and sin was in the past for him. And he, beyond that, he would make claims for others. He would notice by how people were dressed or how people looked as they walked by. And he would call them out for sins that he believed were in their life as well, which could be quite fascinating. But here he is calling out sin for others and talking about how terrible they are. And in his moment, claiming that he has no sin. That's quite a claim. But for us, we focus on sin differently. We know that it's not that simple. They're sinners. I'm the word we might use is saint. That you would think of yourself, if you were to say, I'm a saint, you would think of yourself as perfect. But, but the Bible actually calls Christians saints. And so I want to read a short verse of scripture to you to, to begin our time. Uh, 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2 says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So, so just look at the phrase there, if you've got your Bible or you're reading along with me. To those sanctified in Christ, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. So if you are a Christian, you're called to be a saint. I know that may be a bit difficult uh, to understand exactly what is a saint. Is that, you know, when you think about saints, you think about churches that are named after St. Paul, or you think about the Catholic Church, who's over time started to call particular people who have these extraordinary uh, moments of faith, call them saints, is how they see you have to achieve within the Christian world, there is a subcategory of saints. But the Bible doesn't see it that way. Saints are Christians. So let's walk through today. I just want to categorize it two ways. And we'll just start our study here by looking at what it means to be a saint and then what it means to be a sinner. What does sin look like? And so we'll really look at those two concepts today. And then next week, we'll look at the hope of the gospel in the face of sin. And after we build that foundation of saint and sinner and the hope of the gospel in the face of that, we'll start looking at some of these sins. But foundationally, we want to deal with a couple of things before we get there. So let's look at the idea of being a saint. The, f the first uh, point or the first thing I want to point out about being saints is to be a saint is for ordinary believers. Saints are ordinary believers. They're ordinary Christians. Meaning that, that there's not the subcategory I was mentioning before. All Christians are saints. Now, you, that, like I said before, we're not all claiming like that one preacher did, that if I say I'm a saint, that now I'm perfect. Because we know that's not true. As, as Christians, we know sin is still very much a part of our struggle. So how is it that you can call yourself a saint and still have sin in your life? This is where Bridges... Uh, Jerry Bridges in the book points out that being a saint is not found in one's character, 
but it's found in one's state of being. It, how you are categorized, your state of being is, be, is you are a saint. It, it's not that you're now perfect. It's that now you have been, and here's the second way I want to define a saint. Saints are set apart, meaning that they are set apart from the world. We are separated to Christ, and we are called the separated ones. Notice the phrase there in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. The term sanctified really stands for being separated, to be called to be holy. The definition of holy is to be set apart. And so you could, Bridges redefines that phrase there, he says, it could be to those separate in Christ and called to be the separated ones. So to be called a saint means that you have been set apart for holiness. We're set apart for Christ. We're on a different path. And so that means just like you, when you join a school, let's say you go to a college and you set on a path to study a particular field of study. Let's say you decide to become a doctor and you're going to go through all of the classes on that path. So from, from the day you enter into school and you set yourself on that path, now you are set apart for the, the study and the pursuit of being a doctor. In the same way, you are set apart as a saint on the pursuit of being like Christ. You have to understand that sainthood just means that your state of being is that you are now being made holy. You are now being sanctified. So you can see yourself as a saint. Now, saints are not, it's, it's easy to begin to think now that this is something that you're going to do, but saints are actually formed by grace. That's the third thing I want to give you. Saints are formed by grace. You see, um, the, the gospel says that the way you become a saint is by the supernatural work of God in your life. Meaning that God's grace is what makes you a saint. When you are justified, you are declared righteous, that's part of your sainthood. That's how you are made a saint. Now, the breakdown happens for us is we have a tendency to err on a couple of different sides. One way in which we begin to not see that grace is involved here is we, we ascribe perfection to Christians. When we call them saints, we think that Christians are perfect. That much of the watching world does this uh, in the way they diminish the gospel is the way they look at Christians, they say, well, you guys are all perfect. And so you, when you go out to try to live a Christian life in front of others, you feel like you have to be perfect. You feel like you can't have any sort of mistakes. You've got to live a life absolutely perfect in front of people. And if what you're trying to communicate is that saints and Christians are perfect, then you're communicating the wrong gospel. The gospel doesn't mean you're perfect. It means that you are repentant and now you're set on a different path. And so you, we need to be careful here when we talk about being a saint is to not ascribe perfection to Christians. The other side that, that happens to us is that Christians in their effort to um, be a saint and to show this perfection to the watching world and even to each other, we have a tendency to minimize our sin. 
we take what we have as sin and we push it down. So in other words, for me to show people that I'm perfect, I'm going to try to ignore all the areas that I make mistakes in. So we stop talking about sin, we stop talking about the mistakes we make, and now we only talk about the good things. So we, need, we as Christians, as saints, we need to be careful not to ascribe perfections to ourselves and to minimize our sin because the, the big picture here is that saints are striving to act like saints. See, the rest of the book of Corinthians is all about saints trying to act like saints. You know, if you read the book of Corinthians, it, it's filled with terrible sins to be found that the church is struggling with. You know, we just studied first and second Thessalonians in the pastor's class, and there was so much to commend the church uh, at, at Thessalonica. And so the, there's so much to be said about that church. But here in Corinthians, there's not. There's, whole, there's a whole lot of sin and struggle and stuff going on in the church. And even in the midst of that, he still calls them saints. And so for us, we are saints striving. We're set apart to act like saints. So we must feel the responsibility as Christians to be striving and working to be holy, to live this out. And so for many of us, this is a very, I, I hope, a very hopeful moment that we think, okay, we're going to talk about our sins, but as we do that, that's actually us striving to be more like Christ. Now, we've looked at the idea of a saint, but now we need to talk about sin for a minute. Something that the world does not want to deal with. Something that we oftentimes don't want to deal with. That we are both saint and sinner. We are struggling against our own flesh. And so what I'd like to do, instead of looking at the sinner, I want to look at sin in general. What is sin? I want to define it. I want to look at it closer and see exactly how it impacts us. So the first point of sin that we'd like to, I'd like to look at is sin is minimized by the world. The world's goal is to minimize sin. People don't like feeling bad about themselves. I don't like feeling bad about myself. And what happens when you start to feel bad about something you do, uh, psycho psychologists call it cognitive dissonance. You want to feel good, and there's a part of your life that doesn't feel right, and all of a sudden, wavelengths are off, and inside of you, you feel off. You don't feel right. You don't feel good about yourself. And so everything is off inside of you because you realize this is wrong, and you realize you're doing it, and you're identified with it, and inside of you, this thing is off. And so you begin a pursuit of justifying yourself. You're going to smooth out the rough waters. And that can be done through a couple of ways. As Christians, we repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and the way my rough waters of my sinfulness are smoothed out is by looking at the righteousness of Christ. But for the world who does not have Christ, how do they handle their own sin? They try to explain it away, minimize it, to push sin down and away. It's a forgotten word. Even the word sin is not used in our culture today. And for many churches, they don't, they don't want to use the word sin either. 
And, and so it gets pressed down and so our, our, our verbiage actually changes. Instead of saying that we commit adultery, you might just say he had an affair. Instead of saying you, you steal something, particularly if it's corporate fraud or whatever it is, you just say they commit fraud instead of stealing. Even just the very words, mistake, uh, I had poor judgment, uh, it was an error on my part, are different than I sinned against you. One seems like something I unintentionally just stumbled into. The other one is this willful rebellion against God. We, we have a way of excusing and shifting blame. We want to say, well, my sin, this is what the world often does, is I'm only sinning because the world has led me to that point. If you just change my environment, if I just had people in the world was right around me, then my good heart would get it right. Well, it's not true. It, it, inside of us comes a sinful heart. And even in the world, I, I think this is always fascinating for me to watch the world figure this out too, is as sin is minimized, they don't know what to do when somebody actually makes a mistake, uh, a mistake or something wrong. When they want to call somebody out to do something wrong, they don't have grace. They don't have any category to work with. Everybody that makes does something wrong in their eyes, they just condemn, slam them down, and they're done with them. When in reality, grace is the hope of all sinners. And we are all sinners before God. And so we, we're, we're counter to the world's movement of minimizing sin. We want to look at it understand it because we we know only when we identify the problem are we then actually able to fix it the other day at my house i was in the garage and we have one of those chest freezers where you store uh, everything that you can't fit in the freezer inside and so i was out there and i was moving the chest freezer around and all of a sudden i heard a pop when i heard the pop the freezer motor i heard it shut down and, and so I realized pretty quickly that whatever had happened, the freezer was no longer working. So I thought, man, I hope this thing's not going out. You know, all that food goes bad. You got to go get a freezer. What's going to happen? And then I look around and I look over at the garage door opener, which is right above it. I push the garage door opener. It won't open. So I'm thinking, man, there's a breaker. So I go over to the breaker wall, open it up, and I start looking for a breaker that's been tripped. Nothing. Nothing's been tripped, and so maybe my eyes are bad. So I go through, I I'm turning everything on and off in the house. The kids are yelling at me, my lights are out, everything's crazy, I'm turning up. So I finally turn everything off and back on, still not working. Like, what is going on? I finally called somebody because I'm slow and I need help in life. And uh, evidently, um, behind all the plugs I had on that outlet, uh, there was one of those breakers that's built into the outlet. And I had tripped it, which evidently the garage door is connected to it. And that whole time I'm searching everywhere else, that's the problem. Push the button in, freezer comes back on, life's right again. Here's my point. If we have diagnosed the problem as something other than sin, we're running around flipping breakers, working on everything else, when the actual problem is found somewhere else in sin. And so only when we begin to identify this as the issue, will we actually have a fix for a lot of our other issues in life. 
And so for us, we, we can't minimize sin like the world because, here's the second point, sin is serious. Sin is serious. Meaning that all sins have a serious consequence. James 2.10 says this, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of all of it. Now, there are different varying consequences and even, I would say, sometimes different levels of seriousness of sin. I mean, the difference between anger and murder is pretty drastic. I would rather probably be a person who got angry at somebody than murder them. But Jesus would say they're the same because they're both serious and they both separate you from God. So when it comes to sin that separates from God, all you need is one and it doesn't matter which one. All have this serious mark against God. And all of them miss the mark, as the definition of the uh, original word would be, is that we're missing the mark. But the seriousness of our sin is bigger than just all the big sins we see out in the world. As Galatians 3.10 says, For all who rely on works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Curse be everyone who does not abide by most things. No, it says, all things written in the book of the law and do them. Meaning, cursed is everyone who, who doesn't keep every single law given by God. So even the smallest sin brings the curse of God's wrath and separates us from Him. So we have to understand that even if we aren't committing the obvious gross sins of the world, that even the smaller sins, the respectable ones, the subtle ones, as Bridges will call them, even these sins are serious and are, are able to separate us from God. God still hates all the sin we have in our life. And to carry that further, sin is infectious. It, it doesn't just stay in one part of our life. It carries to all areas of our life. You see, there's nothing in our life that is free from the impact of sin. It, it's like a cancer, as he talks about in the book, that, that will spread throughout the body. This is where we talk about the total depravity of man. That man is not just uh, as bad as he possibly could be. But, but every part and every area of the life of, of who we are is infected by sin. Bridges says it, says it like this. It's more than wrong actions or an unkind word or even those evil thoughts that we never express. He says sin is a principle or a moral force in our heart, in our inner being. And as Christians, even though we've been given a new heart, even though sin... Uh, is now we're turning from sin, it still lurks in our heart, in our life. And the danger comes for us is that even though we have sin lurking here, and now we as Christians have hopefully, prayerfully turned from some of our bigger sins that we've committed in the past, we still are fighting sin on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's easy for us to look out to the world and go, yeah, I don't do this, 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 this anymore. I look at my past, I don't do this, this, this anymore. Okay, sin is long gone from me, and we push it all away, and then we begin to bring this justifying thought that my sin isn't really that big a deal, and I don't need to deal with some of the things in my life. And then that subtle moment gives us what get, breaks away for respectable sins, things that we deem respectable. Now, I want to talk this last point 
our last couple points about how sin uh, affects our relationship with God. Sin is actually against God. And uh, I want to show you how it's against God. Because uh, when you sin, when you, when you do these things, they're against God. The, the actual phrase that gets used is that when we sin, we commit cosmic treason. Meaning that um, tra those transgressions that we commit are against God. Think about Isaiah 6 when he comes before God and he's worshiping in this moment and he sees God and he sees all of his holiness. All of a sudden he sees his sin and he in that moment, he understands what it is, and he covers his eyes and covers his face. It, it immediately impacts his relationship with God. It is cosmic treason against a holy God. Another way in which sin impacts us is that we don't just despise God's law. We despise God himself when we despise his law. That's what the prophet Nathan will say to David when he, he calls him out for the sin with Bathsheba. You haven't just sinned against man, you've sinned against God himself. You despise not only his law, but you despise God himself. Here's a third way in which sin impacts our relationship with God. Sin grieves the Spirit of God. It's grieving the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You say, my, my sin isn't that big of, big of a deal. Well, guess what? When you sin, when I sin, it is grieving the Spirit of God. It bothers Him when you commit a sin. Finally, under this point, I want to, I want to talk about how that, that God has all these riches of grace He has given us. And when we sin, we are presuming, we're, we're being presumptive on His riches. We presume on His grace. Romans 2.4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? That's His point. That God is kind and His patience leads us to repentance. We're presuming on God's hospitality, His love, His care for us, His kindness. Have you ever experienced that where somebody, you're kind to them, you give them something, you loan them something, and then they keep it for a super long time or never give it back or they abuse it or whatever it might be? Is it, there's something about when you're generous, you're, if you're a generous person, you're going to be presumed upon. And that's the way we treat God when we sin against His riches of grace. Now there's a fifth uh, way I want you to see is not just it's not just against God, but sin is before God. He sees it. Hebrews four thirteen says this, and no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. God can see everything, so I don't care how hidden you think your respectable sins are. God sees all of them. So, so when we talk about this, this isn't, God's not getting a news flash here. Oh, I had no idea that you committed this, this, and this. He knows it already. There's nothing that, that's not exposed to Him already. So we're just dealing with what God already knows. He can see all. And because He can see all, what, what's so amazing is that He still 
loves us. And I hope to end with this word of encouragement that will lead to next week. Next week really should be encouraging. I'm sorry. This is, talk about sin. We've got to see our problem. We've got to know the car's broken before we take it to the mechanic. So, so we've got to know the sin issue first. But the great hope, and there's the sixth thing, is that our sin is nailed to the cross. You see, Christ suffered for your sins. That We know that all of these things grieve the Holy Spirit, that they are before God Himself, but ultimately when you want to see the consequence of sin, just look to the cross and know that sin is serious. But in spite of all of that, because of the work of Christ on the cross, He still loved me and you, He still wants to make you more like Christ, and He still calls us saints. And so there's this great hope in the gospel that whatever our problems are in this world, the great hope is in the cross and the power to help us to turn from sin and turn to Christ. I'll leave you with just a couple of questions that Bridges asks at the end of the chapter. I think they are helpful for us to walk away with. He says, how will you respond to the knowledge of your sin? Will you deflect Will you deflect it to other people? So is your response is hearing all this? No, 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 no. I've got all these excuses and reasons for my sin. You're deflecting. You're just pointing it to other people. Or are you just sitting there thinking, man, I need to send this to my cousin or my brother. You're just All you can think of is who needs to hear this, and you haven't thought once about how you need to hear it. Or is your response... Lord, I repent. Help me to deal with my sin, and I want to walk in, more, in holiness with you. That should be our response, to turn to Christ and to turn from our sin. Let me pray for us and pray that the Lord will use this to grow us in our walk with Him. Heavenly Father, Lord, may we desire to be more like Christ. We thank you for calling us saints. We thank you for your work to turn our hearts from our sin, to make us new. And Lord, we pray through this study that we would grow more like Christ and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.